Welcome to the Ed Milet Show. This podcast is for those who want to do more, see more, and be more. Welcome back to Max Out, everybody. I'm Ed Milet. And this guest today, I chased down, just so you all know. And um, I happen to think he's one of the most talented and the funniest person in the world today. And we're, I'm getting him in the midst of him kind of maxing out his career. His career is on fire right now. He just did four nights at Madison Square Garden. It was the largest grossing comedy show in comedy history. He's got uh, a, a movie that just won the Best Picture Award as an Oscar. He's got a tour that's sold out all over the country. He's got a best-selling book. He's got a Netflix special that's blowing up right now. So he's doing pretty good right now. And if you don't recognize this face, you're going to know him going forward. You're going to be following all his stuff. So this is Sebastian Maniscalco, the hardest name I've ever had to intro. So thank you for being here, brother. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We got a lot to talk about today. Good. The Chipotle a couple weeks ago. Love Chipotle. They make a really nice burrito over there. It's so terrific that the, the employees can't stop eating it. The employees are never working. They're always in the dining room eating. Ever walk in there and you're like, where are the workers? The only guy behind there is the guy cutting chicken, just looking at you. Right? He's not trained on burrito building. And I'm watching the people order. I mean, there's a sneeze glass there, right? But people always hook the arm over the glass. I'll have corn. I'll have more corn. Just say corn. It's not soundproof. It goes right over the glass. Get your claw out of the salsa. This is something that uh, I was looking forward to doing just because uh, you're... You seem like a very intense guy and a very positive guy, and uh, I like being around people like that. Thank you, brother. And I know my audience is going to be fascinated by you because your story is compelling. Like, there's this, the thing I love about what you do, first of all, in, in my mind, and I hope you don't take this as a, an offense either, I think you're the funniest person I've ever seen. But then having met you one-on-one, -on -one, you're also a very serious guy. So there's this kind of duality of your personality. But from a comedy perspective, you guys, I'm t it's almost a little Seinfeldish because you do observational humor, but there's like a, I don't know, there's like a Chris Farley, John Ritter, Ralph Furley, like physical comedy thing you do too, right? Yeah, yeah, there is. Uh, well, thank you, by the way. My comedy is, is a lot influenced by Three's Company and John Ritter. Really? Uh, one of my favorite actors uh, comedically to watch. I used to watch Three's Company like it was game tape. Really? <laughs> just the way John Ritter would just kind of pop up with the yeah. facial expressions. There's a, a episode where he was getting on a hammock and he was trying to hit, uh, sit in the hammock and he would flip over. And just kind of those sudden um, physical movements I found extremely funny <laughs> and kind of incorporated into my act just because it's fun to do, number one. Yeah. And number, number two, the audience seems to be engaged in it in a way where I'm not only telling the joke, I'm kind of acting it out. So I found over the course of time, and it wasn't like this in the beginning, I wasn't doing like really big movements on stage. It was kind of toned down. And uh, now it's, you know, I don't want to be like a, like a clown up there. But every right. once in a while, I, I'll go into a very exaggerated mood. Were you, were you always like this? Like in your family? Because your comedy is based sort of in your family. A lot of it is observational stuff from your family. And... 
But so your dad, I think it's an interesting background, correct me if I'm wrong, your dad's Salvo, he was a hairdresser, right? Just yes, worked his ass off. Rose is your mom. Yes. And what does she do? Something in teaching. Secretary. Secretary of the school. Elementary school. So in your house, were you like a little comedian or is that not like how it was growing up? In the house, yes. At the dinner table was kind of my time to shine. I would uh, explain stories. Uh, what happened at school and uh, what happened in the neighborhood. And my family was very tight in that sense where we really kind of treasured the, the family experience over dinner. Being Italian, dinner is kind of yeah. what brought out the, the, the conversation. And, uh, but like, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a class clown type of guy. I'm not gonna sit here and like, we're gonna have like, uh, you know, you said, oh, I was the funniest guy on the planet. You're not yeah. probably gonna see that yeah. sitting here. It's not like I'm gonna make people laugh all the time. I'm, I'm actually, you know, you, you kind of hit it head on. I'm a very serious type of guy. Mm. When I'm around people I don't know, I kind of get like a little like, uh, not, not nervous, but like, oh, can I really be myself? Can mm. I really show who I am? Mm. I'm, I'm, I gotta like size up the situation in order for me to really start being comfortable. You think that's why you're funny? Like you just notice things other people don't notice because you're always sizing things up. Like your observation, the observation part of you is more heightened than a normal person maybe? Yeah, I'm very, very observational and very, very keen on what people are doing or what kind of annoys me. Um, there's a disease, not a disease, I think it's called misophonia, where uh, let's say I'm on an airplane and somebody's eating a bag of chips, I will hone in on that person eating the bag and I don't hear anything else. Plane could be on fire. <laughs> I'd be yeah. uh, honing in on the guy eating Fritos. So yeah, I'm very, um, very sensitive to things around me. So you get annoyed easy? Yeah, I, I, in the beginning I was really annoyed. When I first moved out here in 1998, everything bothered me. I'd walk around very angry, very like, um, you know, look at that, what's this guy doing? What's this person doing? Mm. And I would try and convey that on stage, but it came off as being just bitching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But as you kind of uh, do comedy over time, you start to really see, oh, okay, let's, let's say these same jokes, but let's, it's like a wink and a nod to the audience. Yeah. Like, I know this is ridiculous, uh, what I'm saying. And uh, it's, it's said more in a friendlier manner than more in a, an angry. I, when, I was, when I first started, I didn't smile, I didn't do nothing. I used to come out there, I go, I'm pissed off. <laughs> and people are like, oh, is this guy a comedian? Or is, <laughs> really? is this a therapy? Uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, over time it's, it's, it's developed into what it is now. So were you, cause a lot of it, I think you have tons of funny stuff, but one of the funniest things I think is when you talk about your dad, just to me. And having now seen your dad, I kind of get it because I've watched some stuff with the two of you together. But did you, were you observing dad thinking, or did you think all dads were like your dad? Because you grew up in a suburb of Chicago, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of like, almost to me, it seemed like an old world family in like the new world, almost. Is that reasonable to say? I make it sound older than it is. Okay. A lot of that's exaggerated. Okay. Uh, I do a joke about my father uh, murdering raccoons with antifreeze and bologna. That's yeah. actually not him. It's an, another, it's a friend of mine's dad. But I put that situation on my father and it kind of goes with the narrative of old school immigrant upbringing. He was raised on a farm and this seems to fit this piece of the puzzle. So I'm going to put, that's what I do. I, I, I take a lot of people and I put other stories on those people. It's just like writing a movie. You got a character and there's a personality of the character. What kind of fits 
that character. And it could come from a lot of different things. It could come from something that happens here where, you know, something that you might do, yeah. I, I might give a trait to a friend of mine who's in my act. So your grandmother wasn't cranking out lasagnas in the basement? Uh, she was. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that one's true? That one's true. That one's true. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying it happens a lot, but, yeah. uh, you know, the truth is always funny, really. I don't write. I don't sit yeah. at, in my house and go, okay, what's funny? It's more like, I went to a toddler group with my wife and my child, and now I'm interacting with parents. Mm. It's, a, it's a new thing that is in my life. I don't, I'm not really a social guy. Yep. Uh, and what comes out of those, for me, is tends, tends to be funny and good fodder for stand-up comedy because it's almost like a fish out of water. Yeah, I'm yeah. constantly that guy on the perimeter. I was never popular in high school. Mm. I was never a jock. I was never in the music club, smart guy. I was always, I played soccer, and soccer was considered kind of outside the... Uh, realm of uh, real sports yeah. at that time <laughs> yep <laughs> right basketball and football and, right. Like, hey. <laughs> and uh yeah and and, and it's it, it's it's kind of been my career path as well never in the popular group in hollywood never in uh, like a uh, one to watch or a new face it's just been all stand-up comedy on the road yeah. doing what i love to do i think sometimes successful people I want to say something to you brother i just i interviewed sean white yesterday and uh, obviously probably the most successful Olympic uh, winter athlete ever. And I think really successful people, A, don't give themselves credit for the things they're great at, and B, maybe they just do a lot of things really well unconsciously. Like, I know it's not by mistake that you're, I mean, just everybody, I mean, this guy's income's exploded in the last few years. If you, um, one of the top paid, top 10 paid comedians in the world right now, you sell out Madison Square Garden four nights in a row, and if you wanted to go back, you could do it four more nights in a row. That doesn't happen by sitting in the hotel room in Louisiana. It happened because you went to Louisiana. Yeah, yeah. But like, I want people to hear this part of your story because I'm struck by how, when we've met, and other people have told me that are mutual friends of ours, that they thought you and I were similar in this sense, that um, we're sort of on, but like privately we're really sort of serious, reflective, um, don't need a lot of people around us dudes, right? And so one of the things that struck me about your story, and I want everybody to hear this part of it, was not very far from here, you were a, a server mm -hmm. at the Four Seasons, yeah, yeah, right, for years. I mean, I just want you to picture this. Some of you, all of you listeners, you're driving in your car, you're working out right now, and you're like, I'm not after my dream. I'm, I'm at this, this destination in between. But here's real hustle. Tell them this. You would literally, on your break, go do a set somewhere. Can yeah. you tell them about that? So at the Four Seasons, I was the waiter in the Windows Lounge, and what I came out to LA to do was do stand-up comedy, and I told myself nothing is gonna get in the way of doing that, because mm. there was a comedian that I saw at the comedy store who I really loved, who has since passed away. His name's Freddie Soto, and he was up one night, and Mark Anthony, the uh, singer, had walked in, saw uh, Freddie Soto, and then said, hey, you wanna open up for me on the road? Mm. So I saw that, and I go, man, if Freddie Soto was waiting tables somewhere, and he missed that opportunity, you know, like mm -hmm. that, that would have never happened. So I'm like, every night I'm going to do stand-up comedy and I'm gonna try and work it out in a way where it's not gonna interfere with my my job or I'm gonna try to try to try to make it work. And the only way I could make it work was to take my break that I got for a half an hour and I would then get my, you know, I would call the comedy store and I'd say, okay, I'm working. What's going on? Okay, uh, so-and-so is up, it's got 10 minutes, and then we got Eddie Griffin who popped in, he's gonna do 30 minutes. So I would kind of time it out, wow. get in my car, 
go over there, do the stand up, and then get back in the car, and then and then and then hit the tables. It's just it's just kind of all I. It's nothing like I thought was. Oh, this is something special. Yeah, it was just like I got to do stand up comedy. That's it. That's it. I mm-hmm. got to make this work. Mm-hmm. This is me. watch my section for a half hour. Mm-hmm. Told my boss I was really cool. with My boss, he was really cool with me. I mean, this is something that the Four Seasons Hotel is not really accustomed to do. I mean, this is, yeah. we're not working at McDonald's. Right, exactly. We're working at a, a place where you have to be at the table and see what's going on and refill the nut caddies and make yeah. sure they have a fresh napkin. So it's not something that, you know, Four Seasons is is, is known to doing, but I mean. They accommodated it, you. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, for real, like, I mean, you cause, just so you know, that's not normal, right? Not like, normal. like it's not normal. And I mean, your part of it's not normal. Like. Your obsessions become your possessions, right? Like you are obsessed. I'm gonna do stand-up comedy. I'm gonna do it. You eventually possess this career you were obsessed with having, right? You have to understand something about the way I grew up. I grew up in a house that was food everywhere. Every two feet, you just bumped in. grandmother who lived in the basement just cranking out lasagna it's like a lasagna factory in the basement food just kept coming up the stairs for no reason there was meat hanging from the ceiling it was a sauce room with a bunch of dates on masking tape. But I'm curious, was there ever a night you went and did a set, didn't go real well, and you're driving back to go back to be the server and on your break, and you're like, you know what, forget it. Like, I just, uh, this ain't happening. Did you have nights like that, or did it uh, never? No, it was, that set sucked. I can't wait till tomorrow to... Mm. It's almost like at the 24 hours after the set is the worst because you're just chomping at the bit to redeem yourself mm. the next night. Mm. So I never said, ah, this is not for me. I knew this is, it was comedy or bust for me. When I came out here, it was no like five year plan. If I'm not doing this after five years, mm. I'm going home and I'm working at Motorola. There was none of that. It was, <laughs> it was I'm doing comedy and that's it. And it, it wasn't because of the money. It wasn't because of fame. It, it had nothing to do with that. I love doing comedy. I, mm. I've always loved getting in front of people, uh, strangers, and making them laugh, mm. and it's the best feeling in the world, and wherever that was going to take me, uh, fine. But it was never about anything else other than the sure passion. I love that. So, man, I love that point, everybody that's listening to this too, because it's like, he found something he loves, like, I'm just, it's, there's no deadline on it. I love when people sort of, they put a deadline on their dream or something, you know, like if it doesn't happen by January 13th, 2022, then it expires and I can never have it. That's like a ridiculous way to live your life, right? Yeah. Like if you really want something, you, you get it, you find it until you get it. At least in my opinion, you do. So I love that you made that point. When you wrote Stay Hungry, did that have anything to do with this? By the way, you guys should get this book and the tour is also called Stay, Stay Hungry yes, also, right? Yes. Why'd you write that book? Because it's a bestseller. Why'd you write it? And is that have any relationship between all those years at the Four Seasons and staying hungry for your career? It does, yes. And I never thought I would write a book. I always thought books were for like ex-presidents and people, you know, who had something extraordinary happen to them. You come across like this, I'm this very serious guy, kind of like everybody else. But not everybody, I just think this is a funny story and I want you to tell it if you don't mind because I laughed so hard when I heard it, but I think it goes to prove that you're not exactly like everybody else in normal. Can you tell them how you did the air freshener in your 
car. Please uh, tell me that that's true. Yeah. Tell me that's one of that's, the true that's ones. That's true. I just want them to hear this so they know you are a little bit off. I'm also. off. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I never said I was normal. By any <laughs> Although this, I feel like, is something that people should do. Yeah, they should. So I didn't uh-huh. like the I didn't like the air fresheners that you would go and get at the gas station, the vanilla, the apple, <laughs> the pine. I like cologne. So what I did was I took a bottle of my favorite cologne and I cracked it in a bowl. And I took like a little dish rag, thin, mm-hmm. and I cut it into like little squares and I rolled up the squares and I banded the, the, the rolls up and I let them marinate overnight in the cologne. Now, in the morning, I would put in the vents, the little rags, right? This is when I was like 15, 16 years old. Uh, actually 16, when I was driving. Yes. So uh, I would go pick up a girl on a date and then just casually put on the air conditioning and she'd be like, man, the car smells like you. And I go, I know, it's beautiful, isn't it? So I would kind of match the uh, cologne scent of the car to what I was wearing that particular evening. Now, is that abnormal? Probably, but I'm sure after telling that story, <laughs> you guys are gonna go do it, right? I mean, what's amazing to me is you're in your mid forties and you just preceded that story by saying you think more people should do it. <laughs> <laughs> this my little technique. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful, man. That's so awesome. So, I'm curious. Oh gosh, there's like a million of those, but I had to at least have one. I live in fear that like what's happening for me could go away. Oh yeah. So you've had this stuff happen, right? So take us in the mindset of someone who's in the midst of, I don't wanna call it your prime, but it kinda is, right? Like you've hit this stride now, which we'll talk about in a minute in multiple areas, from the book, from the tour, acting, you know, a lot of different areas in your family life. What are you thinking right now? Are you thinking like, I could lose this. I gotta. What, what's gonna in your head? When's this gonna end? When am I gonna go and look at the the ticket counts and they're not what they were the last time I was there? Mm. So that is what's driving me mm. to succeed. It's not again. I, I don't think in the positive realm. Like, oh man, I sold four Madison Square Garden shows. The next time I'm gonna sell eight. Yeah. Uh, my goal is to uh, to just. Yeah, it's more fear-based than 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 mm-hmm. positive-based. I, mm-hmm. I, I guess I, I don't want to let these people down. Mm-hmm. They pay good money. Mm-hmm. They don't want to see the same jokes. Yeah. Uh, this the the coming to a show that they saw twelve or sixteen months prior. Yeah. So it's that challenge of keeping it on a level. That's what the staying hungry means. Kind of like never resting on your success. Mm-hmm. Always kind of wanting more. And that is a big fear. It's just like. You can't, you can't, I believe you can't, you're hot. Yep. And then you cool off. Yeah. So my thing is, when is the cooling off gonna happen? <laughs> and not right. that I want it to. Yeah, right. But I'm aware, Yep. I, I have enough awareness that we have a, a spike in our career and then there's always kind of like a drop off. Yeah. Do I want to drop off? No, but it's hard to plan too, it's just like, I don't have a job where the salary is guaranteed. Yep. So if I want to buy a house, what what could I buy? Can I could I buy a house that 
if I sustain this type of lifestyle, I mean, like, you, yeah, you, no, nothing right, is, right, nothing is right. really, I'm not bitching about finances, don't get me wrong, yeah. but it's just, it's hard to kind of gauge your future based on a, a career that you could pitter out at any moment. Time for me to check in, right? Now, the check-in process at the airport, they don't want to look at you, head down, right? No smile, nothing. I feel like I'm working, right? I feel like I work at United. Hi, how you doing? The only time they get happy is when the bag goes over the weight allowance. They love telling you, you're gonna owe extra on this bag. And you know it's heavy. When you're packing it at home, you tell your wife, we're never gonna make it with the, just okay, okay, I'll pack it, huh? So heavy, right? You put it up there, and you know it's heavy, so you kind of try and release it. You do that like kind of soft release, like that's gonna take take weight off the bag. And her mood changes. She's like, "Ooh, I'm sorry. Your bag is two pounds over. You're gonna have to take two pounds out of your bag." Now, like an idiot, I gotta open up my bag in front of 187 people. I don't know what two pounds is. I'm taking out a boot, a sock, toothpaste. Is this two pounds? Does anybody know what two pounds is? They're gonna charge me an extra $8,000. You think the boots are half a pound? I mean, I go, where do you want me to put this? She's like, put that in your carry-on. I said, it's still going on the plane. What does it matter if it's on top or underneath? The guy behind me is 500 pounds. That doesn't matter. 50 successful people in their prime that maybe 10% answer that honestly because I know what it's like when things are going well and there is this party that's like when's this going to end what am I going to do what would it be like if it did slow down so are you like that yeah uh, not so much anymore but I yeah I think I'm still after I think part of my inspiration now is I have this audio I did called blissful dissatisfaction and what it means is not to go too deep on it but I had this formula forever like I better not enjoy this because if I enjoy this I'm going to lose my hunger so I literally linked in my head, don't enjoy it, just keep grinding because of this enjoyment, you'll lose all this drive. And that's what most athletes, most successful people do. That's sort of their mindset. It's almost like a superstition, right? Because for so long you didn't enjoy it and you finally got something. I finally figured out after a while that there's a difference between happiness and satisfaction. You could actually be blissful and happy and still dissatisfied. In fact, there's a correlation between the two the more your brain gets this little dopamine hit, like, that was cool, I loved this, I'm enjoying my success, the more you actually want to go take the steps to do it again. And so, it's like biting into a great steak. You break that first bite, it's like, oh, it doesn't make you not want another bite. There's no connection between the two. Mm -hmm. So for me, the formula now is more like, how can I be blissfully dissatisfied, happily dissatisfied, but I still operate out of fear. There's two motivators, right? Gain pleasure, avoid pain. Avoid pain has been like my mechanism forever. 
I think it was Michael Jordan's. It was Tiger. But I do watch a guy like Tiger Woods. I don't know if you watch any golf, but like he kind of enjoys the game now for the first time. Whereas mm-hmm. before he was laser vision, tunnel focused all the time. So I work on that with the different people that I work with. So that's my mine is both. I'm still super afraid it's going to go away, and I think your identity starts to get tied up in it too a little bit. Yeah, so, it does. Um, so what do you do? Do are you enjoying this? Uh, I could be enjoying it more. Um, you were really speaking to actually how I'm feeling. A lot of people, even on my team, whether it be my manager mm-hmm. or, you know, I think other people, like my family's more excited when I tell them about something that happened to me than I'm actually excited for about myself, just for that reason. It's like, man, I, I don't want to get too happy here because <laughs> uh, this might not, you know, I might not, I might get relaxed. I don't know, like yes. happiness to me would be like being relaxed and content yep. if i'm never like satisfied then i feel like i'm always going to strive to hit the the next goal the thing is though what happens is now we're doing therapy together here the thing happens is you do hit the next goal and then you don't enjoy that one and then you do hit the next goal and you don't enjoy that one yeah. and then so what was the point of hitting those goals if you never enjoy any of them right and so there's this part especially with you having a young family there's got to be this time where I also think you want your kids to see dad loving and enjoying his life too. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I, I didn't get the call and go, "You sold out four Madison Square Garden." <laughs> right. I go, "What? <laughs> <laughs> I got to get happy about that?" Like, I hear you. Yeah. But it's just, it's you know, I'm not like you know, yeah. I'm not like yeah, I'm yeah. Not that guy. Yeah. I might like internalize the happiness. I might not show it as much as somebody else might show it, mm-hmm. and people think, "Oh, what's wrong with him? It, it is, this guy's not." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I'm happy about uh, all his success. I'm I'm happy, but it's more m- managed happiness than yeah. You know, walking around with a huge smile on my face. Yeah, you um, you've gotten such success acting now, like, and it's interesting because you don't. I haven't seen you do a lot of comedic acting, right? Like it's usually Kevin Hart's funny on stage, and then he does funny roles, right? And so. I mean, you guys just understand this. You're in the green book. They won the best picture. Yeah. Right. So, so, but I want to I want to just kind of go through your acting a little bit with you here for a minute. Do you have training in acting? So I didn't go to a formal acting school. Mm-hmm. I I take uh, acting classes here in town with a, a teacher who has been with me for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And every time that I have an audition or if I book a part, I work with her. Okay. Her name is Leslie Kahn. She's really, really good. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's kind of been my 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 teacher. Um, and for me, the acting has been something that I've always wanted to get into, mm-hmm. but I never really had time just because, like you said, I, I, I put, picked one thing, stand-up yeah. comedy. I didn't pick... 17 different things to get into. Mm-hmm. The book came out of the success for stand-up and, mm-hmm. and the, the acting came out of stand-up. I mean, I was all going on auditions 15 years ago and you know, no one knew who I was. I would go to a casting call. Mm-hmm. I would always sit in the casting call and the guy before me would go in and the door would open. They'd be like, John, how you doing? Come on in. <laughs> I don't got a chance. This guy went for coffee with the <laughs> casting director. <laughs> but now when I go in, they're like, oh, you know, it yeah. gives you a sense of confidence. It's all about confidence. Mm. I didn't have the confidence 15 years ago when I was going into those uh, casting rooms just because mm. I was nervous. Am I doing this right? This is something that I don't do uh, day in and day out. Mm. But now I feel like the confidence is half of the 
half of the battle. I yes. go in there and they're like, man, we're a huge fan of your stand-up comedy. Yeah. And right away I'm like, yes. I'm puffing my chest out. I'm like, yep. okay, it's, this is mine to lose. They yep. like me already. Yes. So uh, I believe that too. I think success is 80% psychology, 20% mechanics. And that psychology is all that confidence yeah. that you start to stack up. The other thing you have that I want to point out to everybody, first, a huge lesson you just said, I just want everyone to hear backwards, especially entrepreneurs. You see guys like Cuban or myself, and I'm not equating myself with Mark Cuban, but the, the kind of the vogue thing now is like people have 10 different businesses they're in, right? What you have to understand is someone like myself or someone more successful like Mark Cuban, we wanted one business first. Then once we got wealthy, we we're able to dabble into all these other businesses. You got to pick one thing and dominate at it. That's that's a huge thing, I think, for everybody to point out. Well, let me let me piggyback yeah. on that. Yeah. Uh, now that you had the one thing, or if people are out there have one thing, maybe other things are presented to you. You got it. You don't always have to do that. Like mm. people go, "What are you going to get a TV show?" Mm. Maybe. I wouldn't be able to put the passion needed into a TV show mm. that it would need to success mm. to be a success just because I'm in this position to get some of these things. A lot of things I turned down just because I don't I don't have the huh. I don't I don't want to do that. Mm. I, it, it's easy to say yes to things wow. you should be doing because maybe you're successful. But I, I, I'm like, I, I don't, I don't want to give a. I don't want to give my energy to that because I'm not going to be able to give 110%. If I do a movie, I, I want to be there, I want to be present, and I want to give it my all. I, I just don't want to take things just to take it. That was your gift to me today because I've been struggling with that. More opportunities obviously have been coming my way, and I've had a really difficult time saying no to any of them because I should do them. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's really good you just said that because actually driving out here, something came my way, and I don't want to do it, but I should, and I agreed to do it. And that's a mistake. I'm spreading myself so freaking thin that I'm not really being great at anything right now because my energy is depleted in all these different places. You're supposed to say that for me. <laughs> for real. No, I'm serious. That was really, really good, man. Well, good. I'm the good. other thing you have going, I want to point out to everybody, that is such a factor, and you're appreciating it right now. You have momentum. And life moment. You can get momentum in everything. Like in sports, I say all the time, it's not always the best team that actually wins the World Series every year. It's the pitching staff with momentum or the hot bats, right? In the NFL, it's not always the best team, but a team like the Patriots sort of find a way to play best at the end of the year. Your life can get momentum, and so can your career. And that momentum can actually help you be better almost than you really are. And I think you, you're not doing better than you really are, but you've got, you can, you got this kind of momentum going. Don't you feel like you have that in your career right now? And hard work, you got to fuel that fire. Don't you feel like that right now? Well, yeah, it's like... He, I was even talking to my management about, hey, maybe we take some time off, uh, not touring. Mm -hmm. Because here's the, here's the thing. It's like, if the audience knows they could always have you, then what's like mm -hmm. the bill? Like if you're always having steak every night or filet every night, like yeah. what's to look forward to? Mm -hmm. So if you keep saturating the market mm -hmm. and keep going wow. back and back and back, Aren't you like, yeah, if I don't see him this time, he'll be back, you know? Yeah. So, mm. but then if you do take time off, mm. you're losing the momentum. Yeah. So it's yep. trying to find that like happy medium yep. where you kind of capitalize on the momentum, yes. but you don't oversaturate, your, oversaturate yourself in, in the market. Yeah, you don't want to lose your momentum. You don't want to lose your relevance. It's more of an art than a science. 
Mm-hmm. Like I watched that with someone like Beyonce or J-Lo, you know, like Beyonce's done it differently. Beyonce sort of takes these large windows off, whereas Jen is just always grinding. She's always relevant. She's doing a show. She's doing, she was doing American Idol. Now she's a judge on a dance show. Then she's got a tour. Then she's got a movie. Like she's just in the consciousness. Mm-hmm. And I look at Jen and I think, <clears throat> here she is almost 50 years old. She's been relevant, famous, and had momentum now for since the Fly Girls, mm-hmm. you know, for flipping 25 or 28 years. So there is different art forms of doing it. We never went to the grocery store. We grew it. Right in the backyard, beautiful tomato, string bean. All right, little zucchini, you want some fruit? You picked it off the tree. But at night, we found out something was going on in our garden. There was a little raccoon, something. Something was nibbling on my father's tomatoes, okay? It's a big deal. We had a family meeting about it. Most American families, they'll call up Orkin. We'll just call Orkin. They'll come set up some traps. Then they'll release the animal back into the wild so it could reunite with its family. My father's like, listen, we're gonna murder this motherfucker, huh? We're gonna put antifreeze on bologna. What? Why, Papa? Why? Because it eats the intestines, that's why. Now go get the antifreeze in the garage. We're gonna make a sandwich for our friends tonight. But I wanna talk about acting just real quick because this is just the coolest thing in the world to me. Here's this guy, four seasons server, grinding, 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 starts to hit it in comedy, starts to really hit it in comedy, starts to act, gets in the best damn motion picture of the year, wins the Academy Award in that, the movie that he's in wins the Academy Award. Now you're in The Irishman, which is coming out, right? I want everybody to go see this movie when you're out. But dude, you're acting with freaking De Niro and Pacino and Pesci. What the? I don't know, man. You couldn't even write this kind of script of how this happened for me in the film world. I mean, there's actors out there have been doing acting for 20, 25 years, and they'll get the opportunity to work with the people that I've worked with in the last 12 to 18 months. Mm -hmm. So, uh, again, here's here's a story about getting the role. Uh, They asked me, do you want to send a tape to New York, or do you want to go to New York and audition in the room. I chose to go to New York to audition in the room. Uh, Cause I feel like if you're in a room, mm-hmm. who knows what's gonna happen. You have a personal connection. I'm here, you're here. There could, you know, mm-hmm. a, a relationship could develop, yep. who knows. So I go <clears throat> and I walk in, the casting director tells me, you're looking really good for this. Uh, Martin saw your, I did a small film called Cruise. Okay. So you're looking really good. So that's all you have to tell me is I'm looking good and I go the opposite. I sabotage myself. If you told me, she, man, you gotta work for this. It's you and another guy. Then I get like, oh, I gotta do. You tell me I got it in the bag, I I unravel. Wow. So right from the get go, I felt unsure of myself. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I was putting my best foot forward. Mm -hmm. She kept working with me to kind of get it. You know, she was trying to get it out of me. 
couldn't get it out of me. And then I walked out of there and I, I didn't feel good. I called my agent, I go, you're not gonna get a good call on this. I don't think I got it. So I went back, sure enough, they liked you, but not consistent. They're kind of nervous, you know, just based on your performance in the room, if you're gonna be able to kind of hold it with Robert De Niro and da 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 da. If you wanna take the notes that we've given you and work on it and send a tape, happy to see that, which thank God for the, the, the casting director that she gave me a second shot. Mm. Now, I went to my acting coach, we put it on tape, sent it in. She's like, this is what I'm talking about. She sent it to Mr. Scorsese. He looked at it, loved it, but didn't end up giving me that role, gave me another role in the movie. Uh, so it was for me, I got shot down. Mm -hmm. I screwed up. I didn't do well. A lot, of, like, a lot of times in life you don't get that second chance, but mm -hmm. this one, they gave me it That's and I took awesome. advantage of it. And uh, the first day I'm on set with uh, De Niro and Pesci doing a scene, the first scene of, of, of my filming day was with those two guys. The first freaking scenes with De Niro and Pesci. Yeah. So again, nervous, anxiety ridden, I've never, done anything quite to this level. I mean, Mr. Martin Scorsese's directing. I mean, it's it's a whole deal. And I'm working with guys that I grew up watching and thoroughly enjoying their work. And uh, in life, sometimes you question, should I be here? Am I good enough? Mm -hmm. What am I, you know, I'm, I'm working with these two guys. I'm a comedian. I'm not a seasoned actor. What the hell am I doing here? Mm -hmm. But they were very gracious in, in the fact that they came and they made me feel at home. Mm -hmm. And once I did the first scene, mm -hmm. it was almost like, I do, I do belong here. This, this, is, this is where I should be. Awesome. But there's a lot of doubt though, yeah. going into these things. Yeah. I, I build it up in my head. Mm -hmm. Am I gonna be good enough? Da, da, da. But in doing so, I think it, it puts a lot of pressure on me to when it's time to perform to actually do well. Prepare. If yeah. I wasn't thinking, you know when I wasn't thinking that was, uh, and I told this, this story on Jimmy Fallon and they played a clip. I went to go to the Jimmy Fallon show. Do you mind if I tell this story here? I, I love this story, right. yeah. Um, and I had a lot of people backstage, my mom, my, my wife, my mother-in-law, agents, publicists, it's like a party back there. But I was only doing five minutes on Fallon. I figure I've done this five minutes, time in, time out. I'm hosting kind of like a party back there. I'm very hospitable. I like to, you need anything? Yeah. You know, with some cheese or whatever. <laughs> so I go out and I start doing the act and a minute in, I go completely blank. I, I forget my act. There's cue cards there. I can't even see them because you know, my, I'm, I'm almost going blind. Just, uh, oh my gosh looking at the band, the band's like, bro, we don't know the act. So this lasted for about, it felt like 15 minutes, but it was like 15 seconds. And then boom, I snapped back into it. I got chills. And, uh, and I completed the, the set. Now, I was worried that they were gonna keep that in there. Yeah. But then when I talked to, to Fallon, he goes, nah, we cut that right out in editing, no problem. So when I went back on Fallon, I said, you know, I would like for, Jimmy to show oh, wow. the 15 minutes of complete dead silence that I screwed up. Wow. Cause 
then it wasn't that funny, but not looking back at it, for yeah. me to lose my spot, I yeah. thought it'd be cool just to show the audience. That, so we just, just show it like that, but this was... Uh, this was bad. Oh. This, you, <laughs> here, here's the, the clip. Here's Sebastian Maniscalco's stand-up debut on our show four years ago. This is, this is my father, right? Um, I, I've been working, I've been... Uh, I, I, uh, nobody works like me. What? Is good? Not bad. Nobody works like me. That's a great bit. Nobody works like me. <laughs> One of my best jokes. Super cool, man. Yeah, That's a great freaking story. Well, it, here, this is it. Everybody acts like everything's fantastic, right? Mm -hmm. Look at me do this. Look at me do that. I come from more of a, uh, in life, there are these setbacks. And, like, why not show the setbacks? Mm -hmm. Because you could also show, you know, my whole thing on Fallon was, hey, and he invited, he still invited me back, yeah. you know? So... Everything I do tends to, like I went to the Oscars and you would think, oh, going to the Oscars is some like really big thing. I ended up falling down um, uh, 19 stairs at the Oscars in a tuxedo and, and uh, not going on stage to get the award because I was seated in mezzanine three, you know, like yeah. it's, it's not always what it seems to be and mm -hmm. I like, find the comedy and the fact yeah. that I'm not always in the mix. There was everybody on stage at the Oscars to pick up the award, but I couldn't get, I couldn't get to the, <laughs> I couldn't so get funny. there. And my dad's at home going, the whole audience is on stage, where are you? So, oh my gosh. But those moments for me, although they might be not so fun in the moment yeah. when you reflect back, man, the comedy that comes out of that. Yeah. Also, brother, the hope it gives people. Like, my eyes are watering not from laughing. It makes me emotional. Think this moment's happened for you. You get on Fallon. You kind of poop the bed a little bit. You come back. You're on the show. And your career took off even further from there. Then you get in the best picture. <laughs> you fall down the stairs. And you're watching the whole cast on the stage. Yeah. Like, the metaphor, even the visual of that, I think it gives people hope. Like, hey, man, not everything is perfect for these people, even that you see. Because right now, people look at you. They're like, wow. Like, beautiful. Beautiful wife, baby, another one on the way, Netflix, the book, the movies, De Niro, like, come on, man, like, Madison Square Garden. So for then you to be vulnerable enough or willing enough to go, hey, man, just so you know, like, there's this too. That's there's, crazy. Did you really fall down? You yeah, I fell down uh, about 18 steps in a tuxedo at the Oscar. Now, as I'm falling down, I'm like actually talking to myself going, I can't believe I'm at the, boom, you know, like, and, and then I'm hearing, oh my God, you know, like oh people going, you know, oh call an ambulance, you know, like, oh it was violent. It was like a ski accident. You couldn't gather yourself. It was too much. No, yes. the, the momentum, like normally we walking downstairs, you catch yourself. Yes. Oh man, thank yeah. God. This one was, and I was up. And, and, and rolling, and I didn't have time to... Did you get hurt? Uh, it just bruised, but, you know, it your, wasn't... Bruised your ego. But I'm curious about the last thing about you, because this thing I've noticed about you, I'm like, this is why I really like this dude. And it's the overall approach to family that I want to finish with today. Um, one, I think the way that you talk about your mom and your dad, 
honors them in a particular way, right? And I can just sense how close you are with your family. But then I've really started to watch, even I've seen this on your social media, it's like, this dude loves his wife. Because you know, when a guy starts to climb, you know, mm-hmm. right? The guy starts to have the stuff happen. I watch those guys, because I coach those guys, and I know the road sometimes. And I'm like, this guy loves his wife, he's bold about loving his wife, and it's really, it's a real thing. And this little Serafina is like the apple of his eye, right? So just talk about the impact of Lana and you meeting her and how it's changed your life, your career, and Serafina and building a family, how that's changed you. Well, uh, my wife um, is 10 years younger than me and really given me another way of looking at life completely opposite than, than, than me in the sense that she is very social. She has, wants a lot of people around uh, mm. a lot of the time, very happy, never, uh, never like really a bad thing to say. Mm. Um, pushing me to do things. For example, we went on uh, vacation, we did a, a zip line. I would never have done zip line if it wasn't for my wife. Uh, and I really truly love not only my wife, but my, my daughter. And for me to have that um, kind of in my corner, mm-hmm. so when I come home after being on a four day road trip and, mm. and they come and give me a big hug and whatever, we, we cook together, we take her to the park or mm. uh, she's in gymnastics now. For me, family's always been a huge part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up, family was family first. I had an incident, uh, unfortunately, that happened to me last year with Serafina where she was admitted to the hospital three separate times, right? Now, I had a show. I was on the road while this happened. I had a show in Atlanta, and my wife was kind of holding down the fort here. But this was like the second time it happened, and you know, my wife was very gracious. I didn't just handle it, I got it. This, but then I'm like, there's no way my wife should be going through this alone mm-hmm. at a hospital. Yeah. And then and I, I canceled the show, mm-hmm. which, you know, my, my heart of hearts always says family first, yeah. but then, you know, I also don't wanna let down yeah. 5,000 people who, because <clears> I, I always think of this, the show's in Atlanta. Maybe some guy and wife bought tickets and are coming in from Ohio. Yeah. And now I'm not performing and those, you know, but for me, it's always been about the family, yeah. not only the act, but just in life in general. I know what you're saying. Yeah, you get some success. There's a lot of opportunities, yeah. uh, you know, to veer from the path of monogamy. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't even, I don't, number one, I never put myself in those situations. Mm. Plus, for me, I am a very loyal guy. If mm. I make a decision, uh, to be with someone, not only personally or professionally, I I, I really am loyal mm. to sometimes a fault mm. where I um, maybe, I have an emotion that tied, tied to business sometimes where it gets in the way. Yeah, yeah, I'm that way too, by the way. I've made some mistakes on the loyalty thing myself. So I just noticed it, man. I'm like, this is one of the reasons this guy's got natural humility, but I think your family keeps you grounded. And it's like, it just makes me root for you more. It's like, this is a beautiful family. This guy's doing great things with his life, you know, and it makes me um, want to see you do even better. So 
really proud of you. I'm okay. proud of everything you're accomplishing, man. I have a feeling that we're gonna become very good friends. I just have this feeling. I felt that from a distance with you, and now having met you, I really feel strongly about it. So last thing I wanna ask you about, just because people do this in their businesses, and you've said like the word goal a few different times, and I've heard you in different acts go, it wasn't on my vision board, you know? But what are you pretty goal-oriented, dude? And is it just like, because I was fascinated earlier when you said, hey, I don't really write all my jokes out like that. Do you write your goals out? Do you just see them? Um, or do you have, I guess you probably have a team now that helps you with that, but how are goals and like your vision and your plan in play for you? So my one goal was to do stand-up comedy for a living. That's the only goal I said to myself when I came out here in 1998. Here's something, I don't like to show a lot of my personal life mm -hmm. on um, uh, social media. It's just something that I feel uncomfortable yep. doing. Mm -hmm. um, I don't not necessarily, I, I notice your Instagram, you got you coming off a jet. You, you, <laughs> <laughs> you staying at maybe a nice hotel or yeah. what have you. And I know that's part of your, yeah. like, hey, if yeah. you wanna get, to, sure. you wanna get here, yes. this is what you gotta do. And you're showing that. Yes. I I sometimes have a problem of of showing some of the things mm -hmm. maybe we're doing mm -hmm. and just because I don't know I I'd rather keep it to myself than yep. put it up on it so my Instagram tends to be I'm doing a show here I'm doing a show there yeah. it's not necessarily hey guys yeah. we're at dinner <laughs> And this is a great restaurant. You should try it out too. It's not, oh a, I, I don't know where, I don't know how people perceive that. Yeah. Well, you did one the other day with the flower shop. Yeah, it was like this thing that I go, I'll be right back. My wife's always telling me that yeah. she's gonna be right back and I, I video record her when she's, I, I'm not saying I don't do yep. it, but there's people that I follow yeah. every morning. Hey, out of bed. Yeah, I know. Let's get coffee, <laughs> got the espresso <laughs> yeah, going. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. like, I, by the way, we're very similar. Like I have to force myself. People tell me, it's like, hey man, Show, literally, I've had people tell me, show us what you do for breakfast. I'm like, I don't care what anybody else does for breakfast, but they wanna see. So I have done a little bit more of it, but I'll be honest with you, like my, um, I'm protective of my kids and my family too, so I also go, hey, how come you don't show your wife and your kids more often? Because they wanna be private, and I don't wanna put them out there. Mm -hmm. So there's a balance on that stuff, but for most people, what is your opinion? Can they use their social to grow their business? And I mean, Yeah, absolutely. It's just like there's, you need to find out what works for you best. Mm -hmm. And I used to do this thing on social media called Aren't You Embarrassed, where I would see someone doing something like at the airport and I would hold up the camera and they would be in the background. And I go, Aren't you embarrassed? Yeah. But now I can't really do that so much because A, and it's changed over the last 10 years. Yeah. Now that's looked as being mean. mean. Yeah. Oh, you're being mean to the person. <laughs> it's funny, you know what I'm saying? Right, right, it's like right. people are so sensitive nowadays yes. where they can't really just enjoy the comedy of it all. Yeah. And uh, and it's sad. Yeah. Uh, it's just, and, and I don't like to read comments, you know, mm. but also you want to kind of see what the temperature yeah. of your audience is. Yeah. So sometimes I read this and I get like, I get like, um, Angry. Yes. Yep. Like, like, like when I'm doing stand up, I'm not getting any feedback. Mm. There's no comments. <laughs> you know, I just, I'm having a one sided conversation. Yeah. They're laughing, mm. and that's that. Mm. When you do the social media, air, the guy that did the Super Bowl, uh, when Justin Timberlake did the Super Bowl, yeah. some kid took a selfie. Do you remember that? Yeah. Okay, I posted 
Look at this kid. He can't even enjoy the moment. He's mm. got to find his phone. And someone had read a comment saying, oh, the kids from Make-A-Wish. So it's like, you don't even know like what the backstory is now. Like if I'm making fun of somebody, they'll go, oh, you don't know, that kid's got some disease. I go, oh, fuck, take it down. Take, take it down. It down. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> know, it's just like, sometimes it's not always what you perceive oh it to be. And um, Well, I, the other thing you said earlier that I, we should say, too, is like, the other thing about social media is you'd be convinced everybody's just partying and living awesome all the time. Oh, yeah. And that no one ever puts the crap they've gone through on social media either. So the other thing is like just this addiction it creates for people's approval. It's like, how many likes did I get? Do they like what I said? And it's, for me, the only thing downside for social media, for me, I don't know for you, but like, it's just the time it takes up. It's just time consuming to post, to look at it, to reply to people. That's a lot of work. So if you're gonna do it, you kinda gotta be in the game to do it. Yeah. And I have watchers. I think your stuff's great. I follow you. You don't follow me, but I follow you. Well, after today, it's okay. all this, we, all this okay. story. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'm gonna hold you to that. So how do they find you? So it's Sebastian Comedy at Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Sebastian Comedy. So yeah. you kept out you kept out the last name. Why? Because it's impossible to pronounce. It's impossible to pronounce. Maniscalco. Yes. But when I first started comedy, it was just Sebastian, because just for that yeah. reason, nobody knew how to pronounce it. But uh, yeah, for, for, for social media purposes, it's just Sebastian comedy. And um, I try to get back to people if they uh, really? message me. I try if wow. it's a valid, you know, um, you know whatever, whatever. The, something might strike me in the moment. Oh, you know, let me respond. Yeah. Uh, I actually learned that from Dane Cook. Dane Cook, when he first... Huge. came out, it was on MySpace, yeah. and this guy was communicating with his fans, yeah. and it was like a job, three, yeah. four hours a day, he was popping out messages, hey man, I'm coming to your city, yeah. and, I, and, I, and I used to do that, but as time kind of goes, you'd rather spend your time kind of creating mm -hmm. sure. material rather than being like customer well, service. You, you can't be sitting on these movie sets replying to social media all day either, I would imagine, <laughs> right? So I mean. Well, there's, yeah. there's plenty of time on movie sets. Oh, that's true, that. isn't there? That's actually true. <laughs> That's actually true. That's probably where you do it. Yeah. But. Well, I'm not on them like you are, so I wouldn't know. But hey, let me say something to you. I really enjoyed today. Well, good. I'm glad. I, uh, I'm glad I did this. It's something that, like I said to you before this even started, I generally do comedy-based podcasts. Yes. And when this opportunity presented itself, I, I looked at what you were about, and I'm like, actually, I think you reached out to me personally. Uh, but I didn't respond. Yeah, and uh, I wasn't going to say earlier when you said that you respond to people because I was like, "Well, yeah. what about?" No, me, I, me, I, I, yeah. I, you did, you did yeah. reach out, yeah. and it was one of those things where, oh, this guy looks like he's got a, a, yeah. a cool thing, but yeah. sometimes whatever, like a, a, a daughter, you know, would, would cut. Like, of course, and then you Same just, oh, I, yeah, whatever. And then I go, oh yeah, but yeah. see, what, what happened? What yeah. happened? For those people not to get discouraged, he had reached out. I didn't respond, mm -hmm. and and I should have. But it came another way. Yep. Right. Yep. And then in my head, I go, ah, I was meaning to respond. So the seed was planted. Yes. That's cool. Sometimes That's good to know. Actually, know, you don't know where it's gonna. Yeah. What, where the water's gonna come. And from. the cool thing is that people know I did chase you. Like I wanted you on my show because I knew what we would do today. I kind of had a feeling it exceeded my expectations, but I kind of knew this. This is dude's just not funny. Like this is a serious guy with real ideas and, and he's had a real strategy and he's, the story's compelling. And so like it was really, really good today, brother. So thank you. So Sebastian Comedy. Sebastian Comedy. 
Okay. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed today's program. Man, I'm really grateful. Congratulations Thanks, on man. everything, too. You, too. Congratulations. Thank you. Baby coming in June. June 16th. Sun coming. Hey, everybody, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Here's the thing. Like I always tell you, I bring you people in their lives that are maxing out their lives. Obviously, this man's been maxing out his life now for a number of years, and I want you to follow him on social media. And if you're watching this, you probably follow me, but if you don't, follow Ed Milet. And remember this, every day on Instagram, or on the Max Out 2-Minute Drill. That means this. If you go, you have your notifications turned on when you're following me, you make a comment within the first two minutes when I make a post, every day there's a drawing. And we pick someone every day who made a comment in the first two minutes. You can win a coaching call with me, my guest, tickets to come see me speak, my book, Max Out Gear, all kinds of stuff. So make sure you're engaging because I want to see your stuff so I know what content to create, I know what messages you need, and I know what's going on in your life. If you miss the first two minutes, just make a comment every day. And someone who comments on every post I make every day, we pick a winner at the end of the week who just comments regularly. And I post around 7.30 in the morning to 8 a.m. every day Pacific, 10.30 to 11 Eastern, just to give you a hint. So please engage with me on social media and share today's program with people that you love and care about. God bless you, Max Out Your Life. This is the Ed Milet Show.